0: Advent is a special time of year, and it's one of our family's favorite times of year. We are uh, maybe go a little overboard uh, with Christmas uh, if we would let ourselves. I think the boys wanted to put the tree out and start decorating the inside of the house in early November. And I held out for a couple of weeks uh, before finally giving in. I think the weekend before Thanksgiving, uh, we got everything out. And it's just a special time. It's a special time for family for friends. It's a special time for our church family, and it's a special time for each of us individually. But uh, as we begin this Advent series, I would ask you the question, how important is Christmas to you? How important is Christmas to you, and why is it important? You see, when I was a kid, Christmas was critically important to me, right? Many of you can remember when you were a child. And uh, I can't say that it was always critically important for the right reasons though. Anybody willing to admit that sometimes our focus gets onto some of the traditions and some of the things that go along with Christmas rather than the true meaning of Christmas. But all of that changed for me about 13 years ago and I've told bits and pieces of this story but on November 7th, 2005, our first son Keaton was born and You, if you have children, you know what it's like to see your heart walking around the world outside of your chest. And that's what it's like to have a child in this world. And exactly 40 days later, we went into uh, our pediatrician's office on a Saturday because progressively over the course of about a week, uh, Keaton had been throwing up more and more and more to the point that it seemed like everything that went in was coming back out and we were getting more and more concerned. This was our first child, and so we went into our pediatrician, and uh, he said, well, you know, it's, it's probably just a number of different things, but there's a chance that it's this thing called pyloric stenosis, and if that's the case, uh, you know, we're going to have to respond pretty quickly. So he ordered an upper GI and a couple other tests, and And I'm thinking, oh, we got a high deductible plan. It's Christmas time. This is going to cost a lot just for this doctor to find out what isn't wrong, you know, instead of the one test they've never created that tells you exactly what's wrong the first time. Don't we all wish we had that one? So we take him in, and he goes through his test, and we get a call pretty quickly after that, and it's our pediatrician, and uh, he said... It is what I thought it might be. It's pyloric stenosis. Your son's stomach has literally grown shut. That's why nothing is going through and everything is coming back out. And if he doesn't have surgery, uh, it's going to get worse uh, and he'll get more and more dehydrated. And I said, okay, so he'll have surgery on Monday. And they said, oh, no, 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 no. They're prepping the aura right now. He's going to have surgery in about an hour. And uh, that was when I started to identify With my Heavenly Father and what it must have been like to send His Son to this earth. To send His Son that they had had unbroken communion and fellowship since the beginning of time. To send Jesus to earth and be born into this world. And to be born and laid in in a stable. And to go through life knowing the end that He would face. Christmas changed that year for me and it's never quite been the same since. And I have appreciated the gift of Christmas more And more each year as we've had more children and as we've celebrated with them and and seen the wonder of Christmas through a child's eyes when you're looking at Christmas lights or you're opening gifts or our family is coming in to visit and the excitement that they have. And uh, it just hasn't been the same since. So I think this matters to us because we find ourselves in a culture that is somewhat confused about Christmas, aren't they? They're somewhat confused about Christmas. Some people are passively indifferent to the things of God and to Christmas, and they don't get all caught up in everything. Other people are are actively opposed. They're, there's an increasing movements to try to change Christmas or get Christ out of Christmas or, or to uh, erase the name from it. And we say things like happy holidays or season's greetings instead of wishing people Merry Christmas. And And there's a culture that's confused about Christianity and confused about Christmas itself. And and they go along with the traditions, but traditions in and of themselves are meant to point us to something, point us to the true meaning of Christmas. And it's easy to get caught up in all the binging on food and shopping and The gluttony and materialism that has come to be associated with the Christmas season as waistlines expand and credit card balances grow, and it's so easy to get so caught up in getting your cards out and cleaning the house for company and getting your shopping list done and your presents wrapped and tagged and, and getting the food ready and prepared for the meal that we might miss the true meaning of Christmas. And so, That's one way that there's some tension around Christmas. It it seems like it's getting harder and harder to keep our, our thoughts and our attentions focused on the right things. Then there's sometimes a tension that appears when we celebrate Christmas, which is deeply meaningful to us as believers in Christ, with friends or family members who are not believers in Jesus Christ, and, and they're not celebrating the same thing that we're celebrating. And if we're not careful, we can be blind to that tension, and we can be sort of indifferent to the fact that there are people that are celebrating with us that don't know that God so loved the world that he gave, he gave his one and only son. And that Christmas is the time that Paul talks about in Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, when he says, In the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son to be born of a woman to redeem those under the law. That's us. And so we know this, but if the people around us don't know this, then there's some tension there. There's tension. And some of our traditions can even become hurtful. They can, they can distract us. They can take us away from the true meaning of Christmas. So if we're not careful, we can miss the tremendous opportunity that Christmas presents to us to shine a light for Jesus, to point people to Christ, which is what all the traditions are for in the first place. And so that's why we have a series that is titled Making the Most of Christmas, making the most of Christmas. When else, besides maybe Easter, is the whole world focused and the whole nation that we live in focused on something that has to do with Jesus Christ? It doesn't often happen. So it presents a tremendous opportunity for us to live authentically in this world And yet there's this tension that we've talked about. So how do we do this? And it brings us back to the heavenly-minded and earthly good concept that we talked about this summer in August. We had a series that was based on Colossians chapter 3. And we talked about this idea of being heavenly-minded where Paul says, Set your minds on the things above where Christ is seated in the heavenly realms. But also, be earthly good. Do some earthly good. As you are heavenly-minded, be earthly good. We don't want to be so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good. And we don't want to be so earthly-minded that we're no heavenly good. We have to find a way to balance these tensions. And so we're going to pick up where we left off in that series, actually. heavenly-minded earthly good series ended in Colossians 4.1. We're going to pick up in Colossians 4.2 which brings some application to all that we learned in there. And if you missed any of those, we have a podcast, and we've archived our messages, and you can go back to a sermon series and pull up all the messages from that sermon series and review if you want, uh, if you want to do something like that. But in August, we wrapped up in Colossians 4.1. Today, we're going to pick up in Colossians 4.2. And I didn't realize that link uh, until just the last couple of days. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right where we finished off in the heavenly-minded earthly good. So I want to pick up where we left off there. This is Colossians chapter 4, and it's page 1834 in your pew Bibles. If you have one of those with you, I'd encourage you to pick it up and read this with us. Here is what Paul says as he applies this idea of being heavenly-minded and earthly good. He says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I might proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now you might be thinking that Colossians chapter 4 is an odd place to start a Advent series. Don't you supposed to go to Luke 2 or something like that? Isn't that where you tell the Christmas story? Well, rest assured, we will be looking at four principles from this passage and how they're illustrated by characters in the Christmas story. As we move through this, uh, you will see how it all fits together. And so in verse 5 is where we get our title for this sermon series, where Paul says, "'Make the most of every opportunity.'" And Christmas is a tremendous opportunity to point people to Jesus. And people will be more likely to accept an invitation to church in the month of December than they will just about any other month. So you should be inviting somebody every week. Research tells us that about one in four or one in five people will accept an invitation if somebody they, invite, or if somebody they know invites them to church and they don't already have a church home. So that means that if every single one of you invited somebody to church next week, we'd have a 20% bump in attendance. And if you did it every week until Christmas, we'd be completely full in here on Christmas morning. And I think our Savior is worth a full church praising him and worshiping him. And singing to him and hearing from him. So I want to encourage you to do that and to make the most of Christmas and the opportunity that it presents to you. Just to give you a little heads up of where we're going today, we're going to focus on the first exhortation that Paul gives us. And that is to be devoted to prayer, to pray constantly, to pray constantly. Next week, we will look at what he asks them specifically to pray for, that the gospel would be proclaimed Clearly, So we're going to talk about proclaiming the gospel clearly, and that was Paul's request, that you would pray for him, that he would proclaim the gospel clearly. So if you have somebody that you would really love to hear the gospel clearly, I'm going to do my very best next week to proclaim the gospel as clearly as I possibly can, and if you want them to be here and see that and hear that then invite them to church. Otherwise, show up and take notes so that you can proclaim the gospel clearly to the people that God is going to put in your path this Christmas. Week three, we will talk about Paul's exhortation in verse 5, to act wisely, to act wisely. There are things that you can do around the Christmas dinner table that are not wise. That you see some people once a year and you can act wisely and build a bridge between them and Jesus or we can act foolishly and drive them further apart. So we'll talk about acting wisely and finally we'll talk about speaking graciously, speaking graciously, as we're exhorted to in verse 6. But first, we're going to start with prayer. Pray constantly. And we're going to start with that today. And this actually forms uh, the first 60% of our passage. As Paul is giving these final instructions to the church at Colossae. He asks them for prayer three times in three consecutive verses. Did you catch that? I think that highlights the importance of prayer. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, Pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains, and pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Three times in three verses, Paul asks them to pray. We're going to look into this and dig into this a little deeply, but I want to say something about prayer at the beginning. I heard this uh, from James Dobson. He was talking about prayer, and he said, prayer is the key that unlocks the door to anything good in the kingdom of God. Prayer is the key that unlocks the door to anything good in the kingdom of God. And then he tells the story of a rookie who was playing for the Chicago Bulls back when the greatest basketball player of all time was playing for the Chicago Bulls. Michael Jordan. You know Michael Jordan, right? Everybody's heard of Michael Jordan. And, uh, in fact, his Jumpman logo is one of the most recognized logos in the world. And at the height of his career, this rookie was playing, and they were playing against a pretty poor team. And Michael went crazy. He scored 66 points in that game, and this rookie got his first taste of the NBA in the fourth quarter when the Bulls were up by 30 or 40 points, and he ended up scoring a layup. And after the game, somebody, some reporter had noticed that it was his first appearance in the NBA and asked him, "Say, what was it like playing in the NBA? He said, man, my first game was incredible. Michael and I scored 68 points. That's kind of like prayer, isn't it? We pray and we pray and we pray and then we go and we seek to be obedient to God and the Holy Spirit comes in behind us and anything we accomplish is kind of like me making a layup at the end of the game and Michael Jordan scoring 66 points. It's all paved by prayer. The, the, the good that happens in the kingdom of God is going to be on a foundation of prayer. And that's why we're talking about praying constantly, praying without ceasing, praying persistently. That's what this word, when it says be devoted to prayer, that's what it means, to pray without stopping. And I've talked before about prayer triggers, right? Prayer triggers, little things that you can place in your life throughout your day that will remind you to pray. Pray that will remind you to pray. Red lights are a great prayer trigger. If you're driving along and you see a red light, it can remind you to pray for someone or something, a ticking clock. When you're aware of a clock ticking, I'll often pray a little prayer that says, God, teach me to number my days aright, that I may gain a heart of wisdom. And that's just a prayer habit that I have. Prayers built into different times in my day, before meals and early in the morning and and other things. But you can create prayer triggers. You can put little sticky notes. We had a pastor and his wife pray through one of our houses. And she brought over 15 or 20 little sticky notes with scriptures and things to pray for. And put them in different places. And there was one that, that, incur- that just said, oh Lord, help me now. And it, she put it on the washing machine. <laughs> because we do a lot of laundry in our house. And there were just little things that were throughout our house that reminded us to pray. You can do that too. And that's how you can pray constantly. And I'd be remiss if I didn't remind you that we have times where we gather together as a church to pray. And traditionally, we've done this on the second Sunday of the month at 930 down in the prayer chapel. And we've actually talked recently about expanding that and offering some different times to gather, because maybe that time doesn't work perfectly for you. So maybe an earlier time and a little later time and a time after service where once a month you can gather with other believers and pray together, because there's power when we pray Together, So I want to encourage you to come next week, and we'll start rolling out some additional times in January. But Today I want to look at three specific ways that Paul includes that we can pray. Three specific types of prayer that we are encouraged to participate in in this passage. And the first of those is what he calls watchful prayer. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And when I think about watchful prayer... My mind immediately goes to this story in Acts chapter 12. Maybe you're familiar with it. Peter is in prison... And he gets miraculously busted out of prison by the Holy Spirit. And he goes back to the house where he'd been staying in Jerusalem. And everybody in the house is praying for Peter to be released from prison. And he's banging on the door because they're all so busy praying that they don't realize he's out there. And then they finally hear him. They send a little girl out. And she's so excited that it's Peter that she shuts the door, doesn't let him in. It locks behind her, and she goes back and tell, backs back to the prayer group, and tells them, and they don't believe it at first. They weren't exactly practicing watchful prayer, were they? And so often when we pray, we're almost surprised when we get the answer that we were praying for. And yet, watchful prayer is prayer with an alert mind, prayer that is expectant, prayer that is anticipating what God will do in answer to that prayer. And, like I said, devote, that that word devote means to do something continually with intense effort. So, when we're praying and we're praying watchfully, we're praying and we're actually expecting God to answer the prayer. We understand He may not answer it exactly how we expect, or He may have other purposes behind not answering it exactly the way we pray, but we watch for the answer. We watch for how he is going to move in this situation, how he's going to transform our own hearts in the situation. And we watch for what God is going to do. And just today, we, we lit the hope candle, the advent candle of hope. And prayer ties us to the source of our hope, to our Heavenly Father. And just this morning in worship, my mind went to one of my favorite prophecies of Christ in Zechariah chapter 9. Where it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of the donkey. We read that verse, Zechariah 9 9, around Christmas time. But a few verses later, in verse 12, it says, Return to your fortress, O prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much. To you, prayer is where we return to our fortress, our stronghold, our secure place in this world as prisoners of hope. Prisoners of hope, shackled by the hope of God, the hope of heaven, the hope of His purposes bearing fruit in this world. And that leads us to our bottom line. Our bottom line today is that praying constantly opens your eyes to see what God wants you to see. Praying constantly opens your eyes to see what God wants you to see. And we'll look at these and how it applies to each of the three ways. The second way that Paul asks us to pray is to pray thankfully. Thankful prayer. He says, devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful. Watchful and thankful. Well, thankful prayer is probably the easiest type of prayer for me. It's where I look back at the many blessings that I have received and I give God thanks for them. Thankful prayer is where we establish the the link between our gratitude and the joy that God wants us to have. It's been said that complaining just gives a second life to your negative experiences. So every time you're complaining about something, you're giving another life to those negative experiences. Thankfulness, gratitude does just the opposite. Have you seen this? It gives a second life to a positive experience or a positive thing. And so as we list out our blessings and we thank God for those and we talk about them together with other people and we pray thankful prayers, it gives a second life to positive things in our lives. And it reminds us of his goodness and that produces joy in our lives. Because praying constantly opens your eyes to see the thing that God wants you to see. Do you you think God wants you to see all the negative things as you complain about them? Or to see anew and afresh all the positive things, all the blessings, all the provision, all the protection, all the things that there are to be thankful for? When we pray thankfully and we pray thankful prayers and we express our gratitude to God, it gives a second life to our positive experiences and it helps us to see what God wants us to see. Finally, is intercessory prayer. That's the third one, intercessory prayer. Intercessory is a word that you probably don't use very often in a given week unless you're talking about this type of prayer. And it's when we intercede for somebody else. That's what the word literally means. And so when Paul asks us in verse 3 and verse 4 to pray for him, to pray for an open door for the message of the mystery of Christ and to pray that he would proclaim that message clearly. He's asking for intercessory prayer. He's saying, pray for me and pray for the opportunity to share the message and the ability to proclaim it clearly. And I would beseech you today, throughout the next week, pray every day for opportunities that I will have next week to proclaim the gospel to people that you will invite to church and to people who will be here next week. Pray that I will proclaim it clearly as I should. I'm saying the same prayer that Paul asked for because I believe that there will be people here next week who do not know what Christmas is all about. Not really. And I pray that they would hear and they would understand and they would respond in faith to that. And I think it's interesting that the emphasis is on the message and the mystery of Christ. He's praying for an open door and he's praying for the ability to proclaim clearly what he calls a mystery. And as we intercede, what if we interceded more often for each other in the same way? That I would pray for each of you to have opportunities in the coming week to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to people and that you would proclaim it clearly. And you would do that for each other, and we would all be praying for each other and interceding for each other in that way there 's nothing wrong with for praying for other things, but what if we made an intentional effort to include this in the way that we pray for each other and so Now you might be wondering, well, who represents this in the Christmas story? I told you earlier on that we would we would illustrate each of these each of these examples or each of these uh, each week as we look at the things that Paul tells us to do with somebody from the Christmas story. So I want you to look back to Luke chapter 2 now. Luke chapter 2, and this is on page 1592 in your pew Bible, if you've got one of those with you. And in Luke chapter 2, we're introduced to uh, one person in particular who I believe represents the idea of praying constantly. And somebody who makes the most of Christmas, the first Christmas because she was praying constantly. So read verse 36 through 38 with me. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She had never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them, To Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. At that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Don't you love this passage? I get a kick out of Luke. Luke's a physician. Maybe you knew that. That, that the gospel writer, Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke, was actually a physician. And I have physician friends. I've had physician friends for a long time. And they'll state things very matter-of-factly. And there in verse thirty-seven or 36, he says, she was very old. <laughs> Do you think Anna appreciated that? That Luke just drops it in there. she was very old. Not just old. She wasn't just getting along in years. She wasn't a seasoned saint. He just tells it like it is. She was very old in verse 60. And then he gives a little detail that I find pretty intriguing to me. says she was married for seven years and then had lived as a widow until she was 84. Think about that for a second and do a little bit of math with me. The average marriage age for a young girl in this time was probably the teenage years. So let's just generously suggest she was 17 years old when she was married. Lived with her husband for seven years, was 24 when he died, and was a widow for 60 years. A widow with no social security benefits coming in, no life insurance, no Medicare, Medicaid, no government programs to help. Living in a man's world where it's very, very difficult for a woman to make it on her own. And yet we're told she lived as a widow for 60 years. And we find her not railing against the God of Israel, but in the temple, worshiping him, being watchful and thankful. And 60 years of faithfulness culminates in seeing the Christ child, seeing the Messiah in the temple as she was praising, as she was being watchful, as she was being thankful. And what is her response? Her response is to give thanks. Her response is to tell other people, to spread the good news, to to be a messenger for Christ. We can learn a lot from Anna. She prayed constantly. She was devoted to prayer. And she exemplifies our bottom line because praying constantly opens your eyes to see what God wants you to see. Quite literally, Anna saw what she wanted to see and what God wanted her to see in seeing Christ come into this world and have an opportunity to respond to that. What would we see if we were as devoted to prayer as Anna? What answers to prayer would we see? What, what perspective would that give us about things that maybe irritate us or bother us or frustrate us or make us angry? And if we were praying constantly, do you think the things that irritate us might change? It might be a little more sanctified if we were praying constantly, watchfully, thankfully and interceding for others interceding for the opportunity for the message of christ to go forth so i want to encourage you this year i want to encourage you to pray constantly and without ceasing to build a few more prayer triggers into your life to set the alarm five minutes earlier or 10 minutes earlier or 20 minutes earlier to get up and begin your day with scripture you know the gospel of luke has 24 chapters You could start reading a chapter a day of the Gospel of Luke and you'd read the entire Christmas story from start to finish, from the nativity to Easter morning before Christmas. You could start today. How can you make the most of Christmas? How can the place God holds in your life grow broader and deeper this Christmas? Because praying constantly will open your eyes to see what God wants you to see. And maybe there's someone here today who recognizes that they need to pray a special prayer. And that's why the altars are open. You can come to the center two altars and you'll have an opportunity to pray alone. You can sit on these, you can kneel in front of them, however you choose to respond you can come forward and pray. If you would like someone to pray with you, to pray for you, you can go to one of the outside two altars and a board member or a Pastor, or someone from the staff, or just somebody who who is in the prayer ministry, will come and put a hand on your shoulder and pray with you and pray for you. However, you choose to respond today, my prayer is always that you will respond in faith, that you will respond in faith to what you've heard, and that you will lean into what God has for you today. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the invitation and the opportunity to pray. We're so grateful for this exhortation from Paul three times in three verses, to pray. And we ask, God, that you, through your Spirit, would reformat our desires, to desire that connection and that communion with you through prayer. And that as we pray watchfully and thankfully, Lord, as we pray for others and as we pray for your word to go forth and bear fruit in the lives of people, that we would see what you want us to see, That's called wisdom, seeing as you see, and give us the courage to do as you say, to respond in faith, in Jesus' name, amen.